This is Werewolf the Podcast. Imagine. Imagine Atlantic City. Imagine HLGCon. The boardwalk. The beach. The hotels. The casinos. Imagine an old hotel, renovated, restored, open to the public in a way it never was before. Now imagine a series of quirky, intense, and interesting event rooms. Imagine the coolest bar you've ever wanted to host a LARP in. And that's the showboat. HLGCon is happening. October 12th through the 14th of 2018 in the Showboat Hotel and Resort in Atlantic City. We'll have LARP, tabletop, board games, and more. We've struck a deal with several LARP studios to run a blockbuster LARP, Pandemonium, that'll be unlike any other event in 2018. Find us on the web at hlgcon.com. Come join us. Imagine it, and we'll make it a reality. Welcome to the latest episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Heath. I am recording from beautiful New Orleans during my day job company meeting, where I have a couple of hours of a lull, so I thought I would record the next episode of our podcast. Today we're going to be talking about storytelling in first edition Werewolf the Apocalypse. Now, there is something to be said for the fact that storytelling doesn't change drastically, edition to edition, but I do think there are some specifics, some specific styles, some specific elements, some specific concerns, obstacles, obstacles is the word that I'm looking for, that you're going to need to overcome if you're going to be storytelling a werewolf game in the first edition offering of the world. So, the first thing we're going to discuss are books that you need to be a storyteller in first edition. If you ask me, those books are the core book. You need the core book because, obviously, the main rules that you're going to be working from and with are in that book. It's pretty straightforward, I think. You're going to need Book of the Worm. You need a good grasp on the antagonists of the werewolf of the Garou Nation. And if you understand the worm, you can understand the way to set certain obstacles in front of your werewolf players, what that's going to look like, how they're going to feel about it. From there, it's a toss-up on exactly what you have to have. I would recommend having Umbra. You know, Umbra the Velvet Shadow. If you're going to be running first edition, you have to understand both the antagonists of the werewolves and the world that the Garou live within. And the spirit world, the Umbra, is an essential part of the Garou's world. So understanding what the Umbra is like, I think having that book's really important. Then I would say Werewolf Player's Guide. If you had to have a book that gave you some extra rules, some uh, extra options, you really want to have the Pharah, if you want their sort of take on werewolf life, obviously their experience is going to be different. You know, each of the Pharah is a different genie. 
they have an entirely different outlook on what it means to be uh, servants of Gaia, servants of Luna or Helios or whomever they might serve of the different Celestines. It's important to understand who they are, what they are, and why, if you want to use them. There are some other things that I think are really important in the, uh, the Werewolf Player's Guide First Edition, so probably a solid book. You, know, you can check out the reviews for each of those particular books if you're curious, okay, what's in these? Why should I use them? I think, as I've said, they're all really important building blocks. The next thing you have to decide if you're using a book is, do I want to run a chronicle concept that White Wolf themselves created? And if so, you're going to want to consider picking up one of the, the chronicle books that have been provided. I would probably lean towards Rage Across Russia if I were going to say you should run one of these chronicles from the book. But honestly, I wouldn't have you run a chronicle from the book from first edition. That said, there's lots of good stuff in Rage Across Russia, Rage Across the Amazon. There's good elements that you can lean into and take from and use as inspiration for your story. But you've got to find the hook, the thing that excites your players. And often, you've got to make a call between scope. And scope is the essential question when designing your specific first edition werewolf game. And the two broad scope questions are asked, do I want is do I want this to be local or do I want this to be world breaking? And most of the stories presented in first edition start local. They start personal and they move from there to world breaking. You know, the first stories in Rage Across New York are very local. They're very personal. The first uh, the first story that's presented in the core book, the first edition book where you're getting all your rules, very local, very personal. But then it quickly gets very, very epic and world-breaking if you start leaning into Rage Across the Amazon. That story is world-shattering. The stories in um, in Rage Across Russia are world shattering. They're world of darkness shattering. The storylines in that book are essential and problematic for all of the different creatures in the world of darkness. So you can build up to the world breaking from the local, but you need to decide from the beginning if you're going to do that. You can do this in kind of like a chronicle. Uh, chronicle scale or chronicle like sweep. Look at it and say, okay, in my first series, assume a series is six to eight games. I'm going to have this be very, very local. I'm going to establish the sept. I'm going to establish who the leaders of that sept are and what they mean to the players and what they mean to the player characters in particular. Those are two separate things. You've got to understand what your player motivations are and their character motivations are going to be potentially the same, potentially slightly different. And that's good. You want to use that to help build out the important connections they have. The more local you are, the more the individual elements of the story are going to be important. So regardless of your 
going to end up in your second series moving into a world-breaking space, you want to create that personal connection to the world. You can do that through kinfolk, particularly kinfolk. The werewolves have that opportunity that vampires don't have to make something really, really personal, where they have a family member. Maybe they're trying to be good to that family member, but rage is getting in the way, and they have this off and on, almost abusive relationship with that. You know, you have to be careful with those themes, but you should, if appropriate, and if your player is comfortable with it, dig into that, create those linkages, create those connections. But beyond their familial connections, you want to breathe life into the local. You want to describe the Endron gas station that they go to every single time that they're filling up a mission. You want to emphasize the normal elements of that. But because it's Endron, and because it's the world of darkness, because of their connection to Pentex, there's a slight chance for a buildup of worm corruption from getting the gas there. And you want to make that ubiquitous. You want to make that edge of corruption constantly there. Oh, you'll stop for Ultullis at lunch. Or as you're going to buy that shotgun that you need for your mission, oh, there's a new line of Avalon toys that you see in the local uh, big box blue store that we won't name. But you see that group of Avalon toys shelf. You want to use those things. You want to see those thoughts and stories and concepts because you can turn those into world-breaking stories. You can use antagonists like the seventh generation. You can tie them into that Avalon toy launch. And that gives those players, those and their characters, those hooks into that grander element of Werewolf the Apocalypse, that idea of this corruption is worldwide, and Gaia is dying, which is a major theme of this game in general, but specifically for first edition. But in first edition, Gaia is not yet dead. This isn't impossible. It's almost hopeless, and this is true in most of Werewolf, is that it's almost hopeless to fight against the great corruption of the world with its minions. In first edition, there's definitely a sense of hope, a sense of potential to break through and win. And if that's the case, you want to seed that slight sense of hope to your players. You want to spark a light where they can see a way forward. But at the same time, they have to ask themselves, what does it mean to rage? What does it mean to fight against this great corruption? And if this is a great corruption that is literally all around us, that is essential to our lives, how do we really fight it? Is it possible to really fight it? Why? Why are you raging? What are you angry about? How are you dealing with that anger? How are you funneling it towards something positive. At the same time, if you're angry, are you missing the chance to look at things dispassionately and actually see a solution? 
because you can destroy that entire aisle of Avalon toys, but that doesn't destroy Avalon, the company. It doesn't destroy Pentex. It doesn't destroy the worm. So you've got to see the local, if you're heading in this direction, a sense of a spark of hope by getting to the root of the corruption, by breaking the system, by finding the systemic problems and undermining them. If we can do that, if the werewolves can do that, if Gary can do that, then they can save the world. And when you're designing your scope to go from that local, where you're building those relationships, you're building those things that they care about, and you're leaving these little breadcrumbs for the greater story, the world-breaking story, the epic potential of the Gary. That's where you're going to find the essential element of first edition Werewolf the Apocalypse. You're going to find the sense of hope that's just out of reach. The all-pervasive corruption with a sense that if we find the right path forward, we will succeed. And you've got to do that again by creating those small moments by reinforcing to the players what's important to them, letting them tell you. You know, you can do that in a couple of ways. One way that I do that is some surveys at the beginning of the story. I say, hey, what are the things that are important to you as a player to get out of this game? What are things that are important for your characters to get out of this game? And if you can understand that, then you can find ways to pull those elements into the story. From there, what else do you need to know as a storyteller in first edition World of the Apocalypse? Well, you're going to have to be ready for combat. And unlike some of the other World of Darkness games, there is undoubtedly going to be combat in a World of the Apocalypse game. There's almost no way for you to get away from it. You know, there's one bad roll away from a frenzy. And with that in mind, you've got to understand to some degree what the rule system looks like for combat and why. And I would say it's very, very sluggish in first edition. It never really gets perfect. I think the 20th anniversary edition is about as streamlined as you're going to get for this version of the storyteller system. If you like crunchy combat, then you're going to get a bit more of it in first edition than you do even in later editions. But still, if you're a story-centric person, You've got to understand that the combat here can help with that story if you let it flow. If you don't get bogged down with trying to ensure that every single rule is followed in exactly the way that, uh, that it's written. That's my advice, at least. Some people would say, no, stick to the rules as written, follow them, and you'll be good as well. I think it's best to be fluid with the rules. Be fluid with combat. If a description that a player has for what they're going to do is thematically interesting, it's exciting, let them succeed at it. Let them roll, but have that roll instead of 
determine if they hit or miss, how much damage they do, have it determine the consequences of their action. And that's some of the like new game theory ideas. And I know that kind of goes against the focus of wanting to run a first edition game. So you've got a weird <laughs> choice, a weird dichotomy to determine for yourself there. You know, how much do you stick to the rules and how much do you just tell a story? And I would say the rules are designed to help tell a story, but at this stage in game design, 1993, you don't have quite a focus on just creating a smooth story as you do in some of the newer types of game design that are out there. So get into the crunch because you might need to if you're running first edition. Just make sure that you're comfortable with how that crunch works so you can move through it quickly to get to the story. Welcome to Bone Thrower's Theater. Nah, it's not that kind of show. It's an RPG actual play podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined by our fun-loving cast. This is Aaron. Jeff here. Johnny is my name. And I'm Jeremy. And what we do is dive in and play various tabletop RPG systems and games, such as Mini 6, Fiasco, Inspectors, Monster of the Week, Fate, and more. But no matter the rule set or setting, some pretty intense storytelling hits the fan. So whether you like epic fantasy, adventure, comedy, sci-fi, horror, or just horrifically bad puns, we've got something to feast your imagination on. Listen to our full episodes and more at BoneThrowersTheater.com. And may the bones fall ever in your favor. I think that gets to a point that I think is important to consider as storytellers. How do you make these sessions intense? How do you give players choices that they are going to struggle with, not just at the time, but afterwards as well? And this is hard. You have to give them choices that are not going to be good choices. You know, it's great to attack the Black Spiral Dancer hive, but what if that hive is in a senior session? Or what if that hive has stolen a whole bunch of kinfolk of the Garu. And the only way to destroy the hive is also to kill the kinfolk at the same time. That's a harsh choice, but that's the type of intense choices you're going to have to make in World of the Apocalypse to really hit home, to connect to those personal elements of this game. You've got to go there with your player's consent their approval, and the things that they're interested in exploring. That's what you should be looking for. Those intense moments, those intense choices that are hard. And when you have those combats, you want players to find those intense moments there as well. To, I want to do more than just punch and hit. I want to describe to you, the storyteller, exactly how I cut, rip, rend, bite, shred through the enemy. And by doing so, you want to encourage them. You want to find ways to encourage them to do those things. Give them extra XP for storytelling those bits. Give them a lower difficulty if they describe exactly how they attack and rip through the stomach of the Black Spiral Dancer 
for how they ripped to shreds the entire Endron facility. Use those. Find those intense moments. Find those intense discussions. Find those moments where you can make it personal and make it hard. Make it a hard choice for them. At the same time, you've got to decide what's fun. And if it's fun, what does fun mean for us at this table? World of Darkness games are supposed to be horror games, but horror is hard to do in a way that isn't, I don't want to say harmful, but isn't not fun. Sometimes you can go too far. Sometimes you can revel in the horror and lose something from it. So you've got to balance the horror with fun. And you can create those fun moments in a few different ways. I would avoid making combat fun in the Dungeons and Dragons sort of sense. You can do that. Combat can be fun. Combat can be exhilarating. It can be a moment where your characters shine. But also create fun role-playing moments. Fun opportunities where the players, the players interact with their local sept. Maybe they are involved in a game challenge with each other. And that game is a comedian's roast. Or that game is a football game using a black spiral dancer head or something, you know, equally kind of absurd. Have those fun moments littered amongst the story. Because life is fun. And life for soldiers, as a former soldier, Life for Soldiers is about finding those moments of fun amongst all the suckage of the war that you're in. And you have to remember that werewolves are at war. They are constantly at war. They are always on the front. And they need to find those moments of fun, of joy, of an excitement. And if you can bring those out if you can bring those silly moments out, if you can let your players tell jokes at the right time, you can actually deepen the reflective nature of the horror of the war that the Gary were facing. Yeah, I think that's really true to life. That's really true to the dark humor that you see a lot of people in the medical facility, in medical um, jobs, medical career zones. And that soldiers have, that different people that serve in the military, you know, Air Force, Marines, etc. When you face those sorts of challenges, when you face the fact that I could die at any moment, you instinctively look for the things that are fun and funny in the things that are not funny. And sometimes it's okay to have something happen in a serious moment that's hilarious. And this isn't something that's perfect. It's hard to get this right. It's hard to get the comedy and horror at the right time. But you've got to have moments for it. You've got to have moments for the laugh because it deepens the horror. And if that's what you're looking for, and I think it is if you're running this game, if you're running any of the World of Darkness games, you need to find those chances for it. So, storytelling Werewolf the Apocalypse First Edition. I think, as I've said, 
It's about determining your scope, deciding on how you're approaching the theme of Gaia is dying, and how you're creating moments for hope and joy and laughter amongst the war that is all-encompassing. That may sound daunting, but if you look at it from a creation, a world creation, a story creation standpoint, start local. Start with the town that your werewolves live in. Start with the space around them, the physical space. If they are in Montana, their physical space is going to be much different than if they are in New York City, or if they're in Moscow, or if they're in Sydney, Australia. That's okay. Build the local. Build that relationship. If you're running Vancouver, that space is totally different than the space around the Falkenberg Foundation. Build the local. Build the town. Build your major NPCs. Build the sense of themes and connections there. And then from there, spread out. Have one of the uh, elders of the pack have a former packmate, not the elders of the pack, the elders of the sept, have a former packmate that lives in the Amazon, that is involved in that war, or have one of the um, one of the NPCs, one of the mentors in the game, be a Farah from somewhere else, have them be a, a Bastet or a Garal or a Korax or something like that. Seed those little connections into the epic story, and then have them overlap with each other. You know that Korax might know something about Baba Yaga and that fight in the Amazon might be supported by one of Baba Yaga's henchmen, one of his Shmi, perhaps. And that might sound like, oh, that's crazy, why would those connections exist? Except at the top level, all of this is being directed by the forces of the worm. And some of them overlap and some of them don't. But there's a good chance that, that these worm minions are kind of coordinating. And it's not crazy from a general standpoint to look at that big picture and say, we're connecting all of these dots. So don't be afraid in building your local to build threads throughout the bigger. And I think from there, that's how you can tell a really effective uh, first edition Werewolf the Apocalypse game. I think if I were to give you any other advice, it's to talk to your players. Ensure your players are uh, into your story. Ensure that they're comfortable with the themes that you're going to be examining. That they like the mood that you're presenting. And help, have them help you. Have them provide those elements that you might not have thought yet help that let them give you hooks and then you use those hooks and they're going to think you're a genius even though you're just using the things that you that they gave you and that's great that is fantastic it makes your job easier let them give you pieces to the puzzle so that is the storytelling advice that i have for you This has been the latest episode of Werewolf Podcast. I'm Josh Heath. If you have any questions, concerns, 
please, as always, share them with us. You can email me. You can make a comment on any of the post shares, particularly when it comes to storytelling advice. If you have any specific storytelling advice for first edition, I definitely recommend that you provide it because it might be hard. It's always hard for the new storyteller to figure out how do I do this? So again, do it. (laughs) I really think if you want to run this game, you should because it is very, very fulfilling. I think with this and with this episode and with the other episodes about the specific books, you've got enough meat to run a really solid first edition werewolf game if you want to do so. And I'm happy to discuss other elements of first edition that, uh, that you think, Hey, I want to know a little bit more about this. What do you think? I'm happy to have those sorts of back and forth. So werewolf, the podcast storytelling, first edition, 